Welcome to North Bay Christ the King. You're listening to our weekly service message podcast. Join us every Sunday morning at 9.30 and 11 o'clock at our campus location in Birch Bay, Washington. Thank you for tuning in. Forward this morning. If you are new with us, we are in week three of a four-week series on the book of Jonah called The Below the Surface. About a month ago, Dan approached me and he asked me if I would speak this Sunday. And since then, I have been asking myself, what lies below the surface of my own life? What are the beliefs that I hold that that influence how I live, but I struggle to address? What is really going on deep down inside of my soul? And through a very fun process of diving deep, God has been answering that question for me. I've been realizing that I really struggle to trust God, and often I don't trust God. My default way of living is to trust in myself. There is a belief that I have below the surface where I say, I'm fine, God. I can take care of myself. Thanks for the offer, but I will come to you only when I really need to. In the meantime, I can lead my own life. In order to be the man that I want to be, I just need to try harder, put in more effort, take control of the wheel, and go. I don't know about you, but this attitude never ends up working out for me. No matter how hard I try, no matter how strong my willpower is, I am terrible at managing my own life. And I'm frustrated by this because even though I know this to be true, I still continue to do it. For example, being fully transparent here, I really struggle to spend consistent time with Jesus. For months, I've been trying to create a habit of waking up early, praying to God, getting in the Word, starting the day off slow, and I am terrible at it. Most of the time, I turn off my alarm over and over and over again until I wake up with just enough time to spare and on a good day, maybe get a bowl of cereal. And yet, I know that if I were to be more disciplined, if I were to prioritize my time with Jesus, my quality of life would absolutely improve. That I would have more perspective, more peace, more dependency. In my head, I know this, but the truth is, when I wake up in the morning and I'm sitting and I'm laying there, I don't truly believe I need to spend that time with God. I think I'll be fine, but what I do need is 30 more minutes of sleep. I constantly fail to recognize my own need for God until he makes it really obvious to me. And you think that I would learn my lesson by now because every time I depend on my own strength, I come to a spot where I am just exhausted. Where I attempt to balance work, time with friends, time with my girlfriend, time for myself, time at the gym, time to read, time with Jesus, and the list goes on and on and on. And quickly, I burn out, and it's usually at this point where I go, okay, fine, God. I can't do this anymore. I'll turn to you. I'll take a risk in following you because I really need you this time. And the whole time I feel like God is saying, I'm right here. When you're done running around in circles, I'm right here. This game you play with yourself is tiring. I have so much more for you. Take the risk to follow me. Don't just put me to the side as you go through your day. Follow me. But then, once I start feeling okay again, I tend to fall back into the same pattern. And when I feel okay again, I tend to just trust in myself and choose comfort instead of following Him. I struggle being obedient to God because I ignore my need for Him and I don't fully trust Him. 
And I think that all of, the, all of us, whether we know Jesus or not, we can relate to this in some way. We all have something below the surface of our own lives. We all have our core beliefs, our inner motivations that make us act the way that we do. And we all struggle to trust. We all struggle to take risks. But there is a great tension in this because our God is a God of risk. He calls us to risk in following him, to step outside of ourselves, to step outside of our comfort, and to trust in an all-knowing, invisible God. I don't know about you, but that sounds risky to me. And I think many of us understandably say, you know what? I'm comfortable. My life's good enough. I don't need to take chances. I'm good with the church thing. I like to worship. Yeah, I pray. Yeah, I even believe God is real. But don't actually, make me to f- don't actually ask me to make you follow you, God. Don't actually make me surrender what I think is best. You are calling me to lay down my life for you? Eh, I'm fine. I'll come to you and it suits me. Even if trusting ourselves fails over and over and over again, we still desire to take control instead of surrender because that seems too risky. And I think that Jonah really relates to this. For the last two weeks, we have been going through the book of Jonah. We saw God God come to Jonah and tell him to go preach to the city of Ninevites, his bitter enemies. Jonah refused out of fear and he tried to run away from God and ended up being thrown off of a boat into the middle of a sea. As Jonah is drifting to the bottom of the sea, God sends a big fish to swallow him, and he's in this fish for three days, praying for God to save him. And and he gives a last effort vow, saying, God, if you get me out of this, I'll do anything. I'll follow you. I'll surrender. And the last thing we read last week was that God had Jonah vomited out of a whale back onto the land, which is disgusting, by the way. So far, we have seen Jonah refuse to trust God enough to actually follow his call. That he would rather stay safe and comfortable. He would rather lead his own life and just have God leave him alone. He does not want to take a risk in trusting what God might have for him. And this is where we're picking up this morning. With him trying to lead his own life and it's gotten covered in whale vomit. In Jonah's story, we are going to see that if we believe that God's power is actually in us and that he is actually trustworthy, then we can boldly respond to his call to actually take risk. So if you have your Bibles or a Bible app, we're going to be in Jonah chapter 3, and the text is also going to be on the screens. In verse 1 through 3, it says, Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. I love that God's first action after saving Jonah was to tell him to do the same thing that made him run away in the first place. He says, go back to Nineveh and give them the message I gave you, which, by the way, was to tell them of their wickedness. Even though Jonah has run away, even though he has trusted himself, even though he has lacked any sort of obedience, God does not give up on him. He chooses Jonah in the midst of his failure, in the midst of his faith, in the the midst of his lack of faith. God restores, gives him a second chance, and says, get back out there. He's doing the same thing that he, cho- that he does with me where he says, now that you're ready to listen, now that you're done running in circles, come and follow me. I have so much more for you. Trust me. God's call has not changed. His will remains the same. But that is frustrating sometimes. Because sometimes I hope that God will change his mind when he calls me to do something that's too big. Where he'll be like, no, okay, I take it back. 
But God acts as it pleases him, not as it pleases us. God acts as it pleases him, not as it pleases us. And I think that many of us believe that God's main priority is to make us happy and safe and comfortable and grant all of our wishes just like a genie. But God's main priority is to call us to himself and to shape us so that we may know who we are and who he really is. His priority is to shape us into the image of his son, which in fact is often displeasing. I can imagine Jonah hearing God give the same message and saying, Dang, I still need to do that? I was hoping you would change your mind. This time in response, though, Jonah obeys what God told him to do when he heads to Nineveh. Jonah is going to take a risk. He is going to deliver a message to a hated enemy who might do him harm. And in fact, Jonah probably expects that he will not make it through, that he will be killed by them. Nineveh was a part of the Assyrian Empire at the time, which, is one of the, which at the time was one of the largest, most powerful, brutal empires the world has ever known. Jonah's going there alone to tell, to tell them how much they have all messed up, which I'm sure will go great. Let's see how it goes in the following few verses. In verses 3 through 4, it says, Now Nineveh was a very large city. It took three days to go through it. Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming, Forty more days, and Nineveh will be overthrown. When I first read these verses, I thought, wow, nice job, Jonah. He is a new man. But as I did more research, it became clear that Jonah is giving very little effort very purposefully. And how do we know? When the passage says that it takes three days to go through Nineveh, it's referring to Jonah's preaching assignment of how long it will take to give that message to the entire city. But all that is recorded is Jonah going to the city one day, and his sermon is very short, with very little information to give to the Ninevites. All he says is that Nineveh will be overthrown in 40 days. There is no mention of what Nineveh has done wrong. There is no mention of what they should do, what they should do to respond. And most importantly, there is no mention of God. It's almost as if Jonah is trying to sabotage his own mission. To be fair, though, Jonah does do what God told him to do. He is obedient to God in a terrifying situation. Not only did he go to the Ninevites, who who brutally murdered their enemies, he traveled hundreds of miles to get there. So yes, we do have to give him a little credit, but there's more going on here below the surface for Jonah. He still isn't willing to fully risk trusting in God's call. He is still holding back and he's giving minimum effort. Yes, he's being obedient, but below the surface, he doesn't love the people of Nineveh. He's just attempting to save himself because he doesn't want to go in a big fish again. It has nothing to do with actually partnering with God. God wants to redeem hearts and Jonah could care less. He is giving a sort of half risk. He doesn't trust what, that God has what, what is best in store. He is still depending on himself. Now before we all go and judge Jonah, let's be honest with ourselves. I don't know about you, but there have been many times in my life where I've convinced myself that I was fully following the call of God. Where I've said, yeah, I trust God with all that I am. But in reality, I was still holding back, refusing to truly let God lead me in all areas of my life. I was convincing myself that I was taking risk, 
but I was just making myself feel good. I'd give my minimum effort so I could just check off my religious box of being obedient to God. An example of this that I still struggle with is I talk about God way more than I talk to him. I surround myself with the appearance of a close relationship with Jesus, but then I hide my soul from him. I don't want to go all in and take that risk, just like Jonah, and I think that if we're honest, we all do the same thing. Jonah doesn't love the Ninevites. He's obedient out of fear, and he isn't really risking trusting in God more than himself. He is attempting to control his situation to protect himself. Now we have to honestly look at ourselves in the same way. Jesus wants us to follow him because we actually love and trust him. But do our lives show that we trust God through the risks that we actually take? Are we obedient to him because our hearts are aligned with him and actually loving people? Or is our faith more of a halfway obedience where we were just kind of making ourselves feel good? Do we give just enough effort to get by because we are afraid of what will happen if we don't? To put it bluntly, is our faith about Jesus or is it about us? Is our faith about Jesus or is it about us? Because more often than I would like to admit, it is about me. But thankfully, even when we get in the way with our own agendas, God can still do what he wants to do, which is shown in the next few verses. In verse 5 it says, The Ninevites believed God. A fast was proclaimed, and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. Despite Jonah's minimal effort, and despite his lack of trust, the Ninevites respond to God's message. They hear that the ways that they are living are wrong, and they immediately repent, all of them, and that is remarkable. And what it shows is that God can do whatever he wants. Yes, God desires to partner with us and use us and work through us, but it also says that God will move despite us. And in this case, despite Jonah. And thank God, because if he only moved when we were fully listening and being being obedient to him, we would be out of luck. But I love that in this case, God only needed Jonah to give a sliver of obedience and he would do the rest. He would be the one who changes lives and hearts. This is refreshing and humbling for me to hear. First of all, it is so freeing to know that the changing of hearts does not depend on me or you. It is freeing to know that I cannot control how God wants to move. But it is humbling because it is a reminder that being a successful Christian is not the same as following Christ. Jonah was actually extremely successful with his preaching, but there was nothing going on in his heart. He didn't love, there was no joy, there was no peace within him. See, it is pretty easy to appear like a successful Christian. It's easy to learn all the Christian terms and the vernacular of the church. It's easy to say the right prayers, to look righteous, to look like we're following God. And I've had many times in my life where I go to church every week and I'm singing the words during worship and I look like a successful Christian. But deep down in my soul, I'm not trusting in him at all. I'm not actually following him where my life doesn't show any evidence that I truly believe in him. Being successful is not what following God is about, and it's not evidence that we really believe in him either. Believing in God is about so much more than success, and we see this uh, in how the Ninevites respond. In verse 5, it says the Ninevites believe in God. And I think that sometimes when we hear this word belief, we, we associate it with a sort of like mental belief. 
An example of this would be like, yeah, I believe God exists, or I believe God is real. But this is not the belief, that, the type of belief that scripture is talking about. See, when the Ninevites believe, their belief is informed by action. To show that they believe, they proclaim a fast, and they put on sackcloth, which is sort of weird, but putting on sackcloth was a way to humble oneself before God. It was often used in mourning, um, and it was a way to show repentance uh, and surrender. The kind of belief that the Ninevites have is not just this intellectual belief. In fact, a better word than belief that reflects what's going on here is the word trust. The Ninevites trusted in God, and they demonstrated this with their response. And I think that we miss this all the time. We say we believe in God, but often that means nothing to us. I know for a lot of my life, believing in God meant nothing to me. It was just something I said, but in no way was my life actually impacted. If belief isn't followed by action, do we actually believe? For example, if I say that I believe that any of these chairs will support my weight, but then I refuse to take the risk to ever sit in the chairs, I don't really believe that the chairs will, have support, will be, be able to support my weight. I'm just saying words. There's no evidence that shows that I believe that to be true. And the same goes with God. If we say we believe in him, but there's no evidence to demonstrate our trust, then we don't really trust him. This shows that belief in God means taking action to show that we trust him. Belief in God means taking action to show that we trust him. Is there evidence in your life that you believe in Jesus? See, the Ninevites in this story are confronted with the judgment that what they are doing, how they are living, is wrong and evil. They thought that the way they had been living, though, was good. But now they're being told, no, 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 that's not true. What you're doing is not good. God lovingly comes to them and gives them a chance to receive his grace. He is inviting them to come to him and they have a choice to make. And it is a choice that goes all the way back to Adam and Eve. They can trust themselves in what they think is right or they can trust in God and what he says is right. The Ninevites easily could have laughed in Jonah's face and just killed him and said, nope, we like how we're living, go away, no way. But they don't. The Ninevites take a risk in trusting that God's judgment of good and evil is better than their own. The Ninevites take a risk in trusting that God's judgment of good and evil is better than their own. They demonstrate, that their, they demonstrate their belief by repenting. And they turn away from their actions towards his grace and love. Let's continue to see what their response to, to God looks like in the next few verses. In verses 6 through 9, it says, when Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down in the dust. This is the proclamation he issued in Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let people or animals, herds or flocks taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink, but let people and animals be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. What's going on here is a complete and total surrender to God. The whole city, from the most powerful to the poor, from the people to the animals, are turning from their ways. And they're all hoping for God's mercy and compassion. See, the king of Nineveh is one of the most powerful people in the world at that time. Nineveh is one of the most powerful cities in the most powerful empire in the whole world. And when he received Jonah's warning, he completely humbles himself 
turns from his ways and submits before God's authority and judgment. And that is incredible. May I remind you that Nineveh is Israel's enemy. They were known as evil, brutal people. They skinned people alive. They murdered the Jewish people. There was no evidence that God was in them at all. These are some of the most unlikely people to follow God. Part of the reason, which we will talk more about next week, that Jonah doesn't want to go to Nineveh is that he hates them. He doesn't want them to be rescued. He wants them to be punished. He thinks it would be unfair for them to know God. They don't deserve it. And yet, here they are, completely trusting God's sovereign rule. Think of those people that you know, that, you're, that you think are least likely to follow Jesus. It could be your boss, like, yeah, right, no way. It could be your coworker that just really bugs you. Maybe it's your neighbor or a sibling or your parents or your children. Maybe it's a member of a different political party, like a liberal or conservative. It could be those that you think are just so far from God. Are there people in your life that you would rather have punished than transformed? That is who the Ninevites are to Jonah. And this presents a challenge because Jonah is confronted with taking the risk that God's ideas of fairness is better than his own. In addition, Jonah can take the risk to love his enemies. He fails in both respects, but this presents a challenge to all of us. See, Nineveh's response shows that even the most unlikely people are within God's love and reach. The most unlikely people are within God's love and reach. And thank God, because in reality, we are all undeserving of his love. We all fall short. Jonah doesn't believe this, though. Even though he is saved, even though he's been running away, even though he's given a second chance, he fails to look at his own shortcomings. He fails to be grateful for the fact that God loves him. He is too focused on those people, the Ninevites, and how they fall short. And we must look at ourselves in the same way, look in the mirror and say, how similar are we to Jonah? Believing that we are deserving of love and grace, but not them. No way. I praise, the, I praise God that the Ninevites responded the way they did, because then we get to see his mercy in the last verse. In verse 10 it says, When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. The Ninevites trusted in God's judgment more than their own, and in return, he showed grace and mercy. They owned their shortcomings and failures before God, and, they, and God relented and restored them out of his love, which was his plan all along. God's mission to, was to redeem hearts. That is why he called Jonah in the first place. He desired Nineveh to turn from their ways and to follow him so that they could experience his love and grace. I want us to pause for a bit, though, and look back at verse 4 where it says, uh, where Jonah's giving his sermon. And Jonah says, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. And I want us to focus in on this word, overthrown. In other translations, it might say overturned. But the Hebrew term for this word has two separate meanings. One meaning is it for it to be overthrown, like in a violent or destructive kind of way. But the other meaning has more to do with transformation and change. So it could also be read as 40 more days until Nineveh will be transformed or changed. God refuses to overthrow Nineveh in a destructive sort of way, and instead he chooses to transform them. This means that Jonah's words do come true. God had always planned to fulfill Jonah's words, even in Jonah's minimal effort, but not in the way that Jonah had intended. 
Nineveh seeks God's mercy and they are absolutely transformed. They are overthrown. They risk entrusting God and his kingdom overthrows their own kingdom. This is what God desires for all of us. He desires for us to trust him so that he can transform and mold us. But it takes risk. It takes laying down our own judgment and believing in his, in his judgment. God's kingdom overthrows Nineveh. What needs to be overthrown in your kingdom? What needs to be overthrown in your kingdom? Is trusting God worth that risk to you? He desires to have his grace and love flood your life, but you get to decide if you want that. I hope that we can see that following God and his call is not easy. It was not easy for Jonah. It was not easy for the Ninevites. It is not comfortable. It is not safe. It is not simple. I have been talking about risk all morning, and it is because uh, following God takes risk, and he is always calling us to risk as we trust in him and depend on him more and more. As we believe in him more than ourselves, and that is difficult. To be honest, in many ways in my life right now, I struggle to follow Jesus. I struggle to lay down my life and follow him and take risk. It's so much easier to be comfortable to hear God's call and say, I'm okay, God. And I have been wrestling with the question of if it takes so much risk, if it's so hard, why would we ever choose to do it? Why would we ever choose to follow Jesus if it takes so much risk? And to answer this question, I have to use a metaphor and a comparison to falling in love. Falling in love is risky. Anytime you, put, you love someone, you are trusting them to love you back. You're putting your heart in someone's hands and saying, I trust you. But it's risky because you could get hurt. You could be rejected. Many of us, I'm sure, have felt that pain and it is no fun. It is so much easier to stay safe and comfortable. It's honestly easier to never allow myself to love anyone. I could live my whole life keeping, keeping myself isolated. And yeah, I'd probably be comfortable. I'd probably live an okay life. So why ever take the risk of love? Why after getting rejected do we get back up and we love again? Because the risk is worth the reward. And some of you have experienced this. That when you find someone you want to be with, someone you want to choose, the risk is worth it. It's worth the possible pain. It's worth the effort of choosing one another. It's worth putting yourself out there for. But what if we were too afraid to ever love someone? Yes, we'd stay safe. Yes, we would be comfortable. But we would miss out. We would miss out on a whole aspect of life. We would miss out on beauty of love. And it comes down to, is the risk of surrendering comfort worth it? And I think that choosing to follow Jesus is so similar to this. Following him is hard. It's risky. It takes effort. But we do it because it's worth the risk. A life with Jesus is the most fulfilling, joyous, overwhelming life we could possibly live. That when we decide to take the risk, he meets us with love, grace, and mercy. Following him is the most freeing life possible. Yes, you can choose to stay safe. Yes, you can choose to be the captain, captain of your own life. You may say, nah, God, I'm okay. But in doing so, you will miss out on a life of fulfillment with God. Where you no longer need to trace affirmation or, or validation. Where you don't need to earn love. Where you can be truly cared for and shaped into who you were always meant to be. But here's the thing, only you get to decide if following God and his call for you is worth it. 
Jonah that decided, no, truly trusting God and following what he wants me to do, it's not worth it. The Ninevites, on the other hand, said, yes, believing in God is worth the risk. We will change everything. But only you can answer, is following Jesus worth the risk to you? Is following Jesus worth the risk to you? Working through all of this with God has been really difficult and heavy for me. Because I've realized often that following Jesus is not worth the risk for me. And that is shown in how I live my life. I am so comfortable. I actively avoid risk, just like Jonah. And this has been really hard for me to realize and to admit to myself without making excuses. But it has shown me some of the fears that I have lying below the surface of my life. One of my biggest fears is that I will always live a life of comfort and safety. That I will chase my ambitions, follow my own voice, only do the things that I know I am good at, and never take risk. I am fearful that I'll know following God would be better and that I'll never take the risk to actually do so. I'll continue to choose what I think is best and then I'll get to the end and miss out on a whole life that God had for me because I was too afraid that I'll run away from God forever just like Jonah and I'm fearful that I will need to get swallowed by a whale before I'm willing to do it. But in my fears, some of Jesus' words are encouraging to me. In Matthew 16, 25, Jesus says, For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. This has been encouraging to me because it is a reminder that surrendering to God, taking the risk and trusting Him is worth it. When I come before God and He asks me, What did I do with what I gave you? I don't want to say, eh, Not much. Just kind of hung out. I want to say, God, I gave it all. I risked it all for you. I took the little risks every day as I trusted and followed you, and I found life. So as we wrap up, I want to ask you, what type of risk do you need to take? Maybe you're like Jonah, and you have known who God is, and you're being asked to take a risk to trust him to do something that just seems way too big for you. And your first reaction is to run away. An example for many of you could be simply taking a risk to fill a role here at this church. Many of you could be called to be leaders here at this church, but the moment you hear the word leader, you say, no, 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 God, not me. I can't be a leader. Maybe leading in Kids Place or United or in our small groups or in our Karen Connection team. Or maybe, also like Jonah, you need to risk entrusting God more than yourself and believing that he has better for you. Maybe it could be trusting that God's idea of fairness is better than your own. That his idea of justice is better than your own. You could be bitter at God saying, what you did wasn't fair. What you're doing isn't fair. Why are you loving them? Maybe you need to see that God is providing for you first before looking at that, past that so easily. Perhaps the type of risk that you need to take is similar to the Ninevites, where you need to take a risk and trust that God's idea of good and evil is better than your own. And I would be remiss if I didn't say this, but some of us have been living in ways that we think are good, but God actually says, no, that's not true. And he is confronting us with the same choice as Nineveh. And I'm not saying this to judge you, but to love you and to invite you into an opportunity to take a risk with God. Maybe this morning you need to take the risk of trusting him with, what he, with that, 
The fact that what he says is good is better and superior to what you say is good. To take the risk of letting God rule your life and showing that you love him. Of saying, God, I'm sorry for all that I've done and I will run towards your love. I want my kingdom to be overthrown and transformed by you. However it looks during the next song, think about what type of risk do you need to take and is Jesus worth it? I pray that we can all take those little steps in faith towards him today, that we can take a little risk today as we are all transformed together by his love. Let's pray. God, you are good. And we thank you so much that you continue to choose Jonah and that you continue to choose us even when we run away, even when we fall short, even when we refuse to turn to you, God. You never refuse to turn to us. You will never reject us. And I pray that for all of us who have been hurt, for all of us who have had pain from people running away from us, God, that we would, really, that we would know that you would never do that. You're right here for each and every one of us right now. God, I pray for those of us who need to make a choice to trust in you with something big in our lives or maybe trust in you and believing that your fairness is better than our fairness, God. Or maybe some of us need to trust in you, God, and recognize and take a risk that what you are calling us to, that, the, that your idea of, of good is better than our idea of good, God. That we would be able to lay that down in front of you today, Lord. And that we'd be able to come into your arms and know that you are meeting us right there, God. Help us to all take a risk today and every day as we choose to follow you and as we are transformed to you, God. We want to be overthrown by you. We love you. Amen.